0: North Organic CBD is a new sponsor of Holding Court. I love their CBD gummies. They come in two delicious flavors, strawberry lemonade and green apple. I've had them both, both amazing. One a day and you're totally okay. I like to stay active, I like to keep playing tennis. I like to get in the gym. That's why I love North Organic CBD. Their products are made in the USA. They're high quality. They're specially formulated, broad-spectrum, organic CBD products for everyday adventurers. Don't forget about the very popular CBD salve from North Organics, immediate relief of any physical pain. I use it daily for my sore shoulders, sore knees, hips, you name it. It works wonders. Go to NorthOrganicCBD.com and enter PATRICK20, that's PATRICK20, for 20% off your order. This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Patrick serves up the absolute best of tennis, the intersection of sports and politics, and mental health in sports. Here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone, coming straight from, I hear the waves in the background, it's Mr. BG, my cohort at ESPN for so many years. And, of course, uh, top five in the world, number four, was the high ranking for Mr. Gilbert. You know his book, Winning Ugly, best-selling tennis book ever. You can follow him at BG Tennis Nation on Twitter. Uh, a great follow, as all of you know. And uh, we just spent a couple of weeks together in beautiful, bucolic Bristol, Connecticut, covering this year's Australian Open. And every day, whenever I wake up, which could be at any time, it could be 10 a.m., it could be 1 p.m., 4 p.m., who brings me my Sheila, my coffee, Mr. Brad Gilbert, from his own personal coffee maker.
1: And I appreciate that, BJ. Got to have an espresso machine. Kind of gives you <laughs> a little bit. How are you doing? I am struggling. I am, you know, the graveyard shift to regular <laughs> is way tougher than yeah. just regular jet lag from Australia.
0: You're finding it more difficult than than the years that all the years we were actually in Australia. And when you came back to California, you're finding just being in Connecticut. And of course, we were up most of the nights, some nights all night. Uh, I found it, um, ch- first few days, a little tough waking up, but I was able to go back to sleep, usually, you know, late morning. But uh, it's been tough. It's been tough.
1: No, I mean, the actual work itself for 16, a piece of cake. I love the hours. But now right. like i I fall asleep about eight i'm wide awake at midnight
0: <laughs> yep that's it's a a lot of times that was what we went to work, you know we'd go into work, yeah. at midnight, so we had we had a good run, of course, as a you know we've been saying to our fans uh on social media that we're not happy about our coverage uh from a variety of ways. We wish we could have been in Australia, we love that trip it's it's my favorite event to go to. Every year, I know it's high on your list, Brad. Of course, you spent many years there coaching Andy Roddick, coaching Andre Agassi, coaching Andy Murray. Um, Is it your favorite event, too? I mean, it's my favorite of all the majors. You
1: you know, what's funny is you go through different stages in your life. And, you know, I used to, like, as a player, I used to hate clay. And then all of a sudden you get older, you're coaching, you're doing TV. It's like, geez, I really like the clay. I've embraced the clay. Right. And probably as a player, I wouldn't say Australia was one of my favorites by any means. But now in this stage of my life, I would say that it, at least the last, I don't know, I put it 15 or 20 years, it's my favorite because it's, I think it's the two months uh, starting in November. You know, so let's say if you're coaching, it's something to really look forward to. It's like it's how you base your offseason, getting the season started, everything. And as a commentator man, just going down under um, to really annoy Chris Fowler is <laughs> I'm the master of in Melbourne, if we're there, of not leaving about a three block radius.
0: Right, right from the hotel that we stay at downtown yeah. in downtown Melbourne. Yeah, right.
1: to, the little Collins Street, all the restaurants, the gym, yeah. the courts. <laughs> I mean, nothing's better uh, for me on that. And and plus, it's just the weather, the people, the atmosphere. I tell people a lot, most people's bucket list is to go to Wimbledon once. And I'm saying, like, you ought to rethink going to Australia. It's good value. It's a great place. Uh, I really look forward to it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, it's a great event and the night matches have always been awesome there. And like you said, great f- restaurants, all different types of restaurants, the coffee, of course. You're not a big cappuccino. Do you try, do you because, you know, they're famous in Australia for those cappuccinos. But do you just stay with the BG protocol, which is the black, you know, double, triple, quadruple espresso? Or do you change it up a little bit because, I mean, they do have unbelievable esp- uh, cappuccinos there?
1: You know what, on the cappuccino, you got to be careful on, which I think probably if this... What, too much milk? No, has this ever happened to you? I'm probably going to say 30-something years ago, I got the worst cat tongue. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Huh. You know, when you... you Also, you don't think it's very hot. Right. And
0: then you just... It's like the the slice of New York pizza when you burn the roof of your mouth. Exactly. (laughs) Right. <laughs> exactly. exactly.
1: You think, oh, this is like, oh, and the, uh oh! no, I've had that happen before. <laughs> All
0: right. <laughs> uh, uh, enough of our idiosyncrasies. Let's get into the tournament and uh, your impressions. I mean, obviously, as you said, you know, getting ready for the Australian Open, especially when you were with Andre Agassi, who dominated down there and who, who loved that offseason, that preparation. I was, you know, we have a Serbian coach at our uh, tennis academy, at the John McInerney Tennis Academy, where I, where I work when I'm here in New York. And he told me before we went there, he said he 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 knows some of the people back there in Belgrade, and they said he was training like an absolute demon, of course, that Djokovic, leading into getting ready to go to Australia. We saw that, and then some, didn't we, with the performance, despite the fact that apparently he had a three-centimeter hamstring issue going
1: on. And two years ago when he won, he had the stomach issue. Right. So, I mean, he's obviously can manage these uh, these injuries. I mean, when the tournament started, it was obviously Joker versus the field. After a couple of rounds, you were kind of thinking, okay, maybe, you know, by the time he played the round of 16 match against D menor it was incredibly evident. It was clearly Joker versus the field. And I said, and I was thinking, that there was a way better chance of somebody maybe winning a set than him losing a match i just you know that it it it's almost like man it's difficult to win a set from him down there once you get to the quarters
0: have you ever seen someone in a major at that point in a major cuz obviously you've been there you were there coaching you were there playing And now commenting, have you ever seen have ever seen someone in a similar situation where, you you know, whether it's Sampras at Wimbledon, Andre at the Australian, obviously over the years, Roger and then Rafa at the French. Have you ever seen another situation where you were you were that sure it was Joker against the field? Uh,
1: I I would put uh, Rafa at the French. I would say those are the two toughest outs in the history of tennis. Um, those two events and I, I would say for Australia too more players can play well on that surface per se that some guys that are really good maybe don't play as well on clay I, um, but when Joker is on his level there's there's no holes in his game there's no areas that like Wow, they, you know, maybe, you know, you got to hope that he's off and you got to be on absolute high note to take him out there. It's probably the same feeling playing Rafa and Roland Garros.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it's true. I, I agree with that because I think, you know, Wimbledon, there's always a chance that you get someone that can serve big, that, you know, can stay, get to a couple of tie breaks with whether it's Roger in his prime or Pete in his prime. Uh, but I, re- I remember being a couple of years ago when I went over to do some work with BNP Paribas because they uh, sponsor our tennis academy. And I went over to the French just as a basically as a fan. You know, we stopped doing it, unfortunately, at ESPN about five years ago. So I went over there. It was a year that Rafa played team in the final. And team was playing great. I mean, he had a great clay court season. You know, we were all thinking this guy can win a major. The French would be the best chance. Of course, he went on to win the Open. This was pre-pandemic. And I got to tell you, Brad, I mean, the first four or five games of the match, I'm, 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 just, I'm sitting in the stadium and I'm really watching more like a fan than anything else. And I remember thinking to myself, this guy's this probably the second, I think he beat Joker that year in the quarters or semis, second or third best clay court player in the world. And in the first five games, Brad, I mean, he was lucky to win points. I mean, that's how good Rafa was. And like you said, on clay, because of the extreme spin that Rafa has, you know you can see, I can say easier, but he's been able to dominate. Whereas on a hard court, you're right. There's so many guys that the hard court, they would say, is their best surface. They can serve big. They can hit big off the ground. And yet still, Novak, especially in his mid to late mid-30s, has been more dominant than ever on that surface. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's like Rafa last year, what he did to Casper Rude at the French was just, you know, it was like 3-0 out of the tunnel. I, I think maybe the most um, sitting courtside, the most amazed I ever was at Australia was it like three years ago when Joker destroyed uh, Nishikori in the quarters, destroyed Lucas Plee, who was like, where is that guy gone? Right, right.
0: He's like 400 in the world
1: now. Yeah, yeah. semis. And then Rafa was playing incredible. Was playing incredible. He had held something like 90 straight games. And the dismantling that he gave Rafa in that final, it's incredible. And he's a lot like fine wine. He's getting better. He's This year, I really felt like from two aspects of his game at 35, that he's doing better than ever. His forehand is bigger, it's harder, you know, and he's being more aggressive on it. And his first serve, I mean, you know, is, you know, it's gotten, you know, he he wins tons of points with it and he wins lots of ones, twos. Then he can so he can beat you with offense. And then all of a sudden, if he needs to, he can still pull back and use his legs. So I feel there's two different ways he can beat you. Good luck beating that guy
0: yeah and he's and he's so malleable over the course of not just a tournament but a mat, even within matches you can see him like you said go into that lockdown mode you know big moments in a set just to make sure he can win that point, win that game. Uh, all right, let's look. Let's look ahead uh, as far as the rest of the year goes. I want to get into the American men a little bit with you a little bit later, but I want to focus on 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 the on the ne- the the next part of the season, which of course you've got some tournaments in Europe, you've got some in uh, in in the Arab world as well, and then of course you have the two big ones: Indian Wells, Miami, before the clay court season. You know, g- give me a sense. I mean, obviously Novak. Won't be able to, unless something drastic changes, what doesn't appear to be happening, won't be able to play Indian Wells Miami, but it sounds like we'll be able to now play in the U.S. Open with uh, the announcement by President Biden in the last week that things will, will change in May, or I think maybe it's in April. Not in time for the hardcore, the, the two hardcore tournaments. But what's your sense now? Is it all Joker all year? I mean, Alcaraz coming back, playing in South America, Sitsapass obviously knocking on the door. Kruna, who had a good Australian, who I think is is very dangerous. How do you assess things moving forward? And of course, Rafa, can he get healthy and make you know another run at the French?
1: Well, I mean, I think the biggest bummer, without a doubt, was we didn't see Alcaraz, and you know. He was a revelation last year and, and I expect that, you know, he's going to be a factor, but I don't know what this injury will do. Um, So I definitely, you know, need to see him up in personal. Um, I think that it's definitely going to be Joker versus everyone else this year. Um, And if I had to set him, you know, an over under, I'd say two and a half slams for him. You know, I mean, he just, he's getting better at 35. You know, I think before it was all about Rafa and Fed for him. They're they're measuring and kind of making their improvements to them. You know, the big three push each other. But now Joker, I believe, has gone to another elevation where he's making these, you know, adjustments in his game to the Sitsi Passes, to the Alcarazes, to all the young players that are pushing him. And that's probably in some sense, you know, you know, going to add time on his game. And then obviously, listen, fingers crossed that Rafa can just be healthy. That's what you want for everybody in every sport, is that you get to go out on your own terms. But he keeps getting nicked up, and it's not the same one, which is most difficult. And I think when you get older it's mentally draining to go through all of these different rehabs
0: do you think if if let's let's assume Nadal can get back to the you know where we saw him in the first in the matches he played he lost those couple of matches in the united cup he obviously won around lost to mckenzie who was playing well mckenzie mcdonald the american but let's assume he's back to you know that physical health if we know what could happen in the clay court season but if he's at that level physically is he your favorite or is it Novak at the French?
1: You build up all the equity, Patrick, when you win matches. And then, you know, that gets you more wins. Now, all of a sudden, since the French of last year, he hasn't won anything. He's been hurt. And then, you know, a few Americans have beaten him. So he's lost that equity. He has to regain that. And believe it or not, if my brain calculations are right, uh, the amazing- They usually are. Yeah. They usually the- are. The amazing streak that he's had of top ten consecutive weeks, which is you know eighteen consecutive years, is believe it or not, going to come to an end um, because he's going to lose five hundred points um, in Acapulco. Acapulco, right? And he's going to lose six hundred points for the finals of Indian Wells. You know, I'm assuming he doesn't play, so that'll take him down to like eleven or twelve in the world with all of his points coming off in the clay court season. So I'm hmm. not saying that he, that he won't be, but right. he's going to be in a different position in the draw. And I think first and foremost, you just want to see him healthy. If he's going to be healthy and he's going to be seated 11 or 12 in these tournaments, geez, that's, that's a rough draw for somebody. But that's all I hope for. And if, he, if he's healthy, then he's going to win matches and he's going to get right.
0: If I were, if I, you know, if you're a Nadal fan out there, we are, of course. We we have to be somewhat uh, un, uh, unbiased when we talk about these players. But it, you know, the concern for for Nadal, to me, Brad, is that since you know Wimbledon, he made the run to the semis and then obviously got injured, could have had to pull out, and that affected him throughout the course of the of, of the rest of the year. But if you look at the guys that have beaten him, uh, including. Mackenzie McDonald, who was up a set and a break before Rafa got injured, these were guys that were basically just playing their normal game. You know, used to say we used to say this guy's got to play, you know, red line to have a chance to win a set against Rafa. I mean, Tommy Paul beats him. You know, guys beat him in. I know indoors is not his best surface, but you look at the matches he lost: Noor, Cam Norrie, Francis
1: Tiafoe at the Open. Exactly. No. Right. And that's the equity when you build up a resume of winning. Like at the start of last year, he didn't lose a match. You know, then all of a sudden, you know, guys like all of a sudden it's 3-0 out of the locker room. Now all of a sudden when he walks out of the locker room and guys are playing him, especially that he's crushed, you know, so many of these guys, it's all of a sudden in your mind it's like, geez, like you said, such and such, I just saw played his normal game, beat him. And so then that's, you know – that's how things happen. That's how change happens. So now all of a sudden, Mackie McDonald was playing his normal game.
0: The other one thing I want to get to just quickly before we get to a break and then come back with the Americans is uh, another guy falling out of the top 10 and having nothing to do with injuries. And that's Daniil Medvedev. I mean, if we would have sat here at the, even at the end of the Australian Open last year when he obviously had Nadal on the ropes and said, this guy's going to be outside the top 10. How did that happen?
1: Well, a little bit unlucky in that he had um, surgery after Miami for um, – I had that surgery. Oh, was it, it was, a hernia? Was it a, a hernia. sports hernia? Yes, yeah, sports I had the hand. hernia. Right. A couple, right. They're painful. So he had that. Then obviously he wasn't allowed to play Wimbledon. And then, I, you know, he just started losing matches, lost a little confidence. But if you'd have told me he dropped from 1 to 4, I would have been surprised. But to go from 1 to 12 – but you know kind of is the beauty of the rankings N- nothing is given you you got to earn the points and you ranked where you are for a reason
0: bg tennis nation on twitter of course you can you still got your store right out there in Marin County right your tennis store what what to tell everybody tell everybody what that's called the tennis nation The tennis nation. Okay, so you can go online, you can order some tennis gear, some strings, some rackets, whatever you want. And of course, you can order the greatest tennis book ever written Winning Ugly. I still have people, Brad, come up to me all the time. I know you love this because you wrote this really for the common player, totally for the club player. And uh, people come up to me all the time oh, I read Brad's book and I try to do this and I try to do it, tell me at 15, 30, 30 all. That must give you a lot of satisfaction after all these years. When, when did it come out? How many years ago?
1: Believe it or not, like over 30 years now. I think 1992. And people think like verbatim, like on things. I've had people come up to me and <laughs> it's all yellowed and everything. Yeah. And, and some of the things I've made some changes on. It's like, you know, and it's like, okay. It, but more than anything, it's a joy to to feel that it it's helped people in all levels. That's what tennis is all about. It's helped people learn how to compete, and that's you know. Listen, I got to pinch myself that it's still relevant.
0: Yeah, it's great. No, it's awesome, and it's uh, it's still it's still making. Uh... Inroads with tennis fans and tennis players, most importantly. All right, let me ask you now as we dive into um, a little deeper into the Australian Open. Great, great stuff we saw from the American men. Of course, Tommy Paul making it all the way to the semis where he, he got dismissed by Djokovic, Sepp Korda, Ben Shelton. It was tremendous all the way around. JJ Wolf, what were your impressions just overall and maybe get touch on each of the players that? you know, did well down there and that you're excited to see hopefully do more. we got three players now, three American players in the top 20. That's the first time that's happened in a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, just having players make deep runs in a major for us is exciting. And I think for me, as such a fan of the game, is each one of these players, from Acorda to a Paul to a Shelton that we saw to J.J. Wolf, all the guys were making runs there. You can't look at one guy and say, geez, he plays like such and such. He plays like all these Americans play alike. We used to have a lot of guys with a serve and a forehand. Right. And that's kind of – a lot of our guys kind of played the same. The depth that we have and each one has their own individuality now I think is the most exciting. and. I think they are pushing each other in a really good way. It's a good, you know, camaraderie, and it's a good, it's a camaraderie. But yet, you know, they each guy. They're wants competitive, to, right? They're the yes, of, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think Tommy Paul. I mean, he was at the Labor Cup with us, and he was a practice partner, and you could tell he was, he was, he was itching to get out there. He's got his buddies uh, Tiafo and Fritz. You know, they all grew up together, and he's watching them, you know, play against the big guns, and he's like, wait, why not me? You know, I've been playing with these guys my whole life, and I think that sort of competition, but also, as you said, the camaraderie is really pushing them. Which, and Seb Court, of course, a little bit younger, as is Brooksby. By the way, I'm wondering if you got a call from Brooksby, because I just, we just saw in the last week or so that he parted ways with his longtime coach who coached him all through the juniors. So anything you could tell me? Any interest uh, have,
1: there? Somebody actually from his team you know, reached out to me and asked me about, they had a list of people, okay. you know, I wasn't on the list, but they asked me. <laughs> they asked you your know, opinion, so, but how about me? What about me? I, I didn't say anything. They they asked me, you know, and I was like, it was a little, you know, it was a little interesting that they asked about a list, but I do think for this group of 25 year olds that, you know, it was funny when you hear Tommy Paul, he goes, he calls himself the 97s, the, right. the 98, you know, The year they were born. Yeah, I think the best thing for them was Korda, Nakashima, Brooksby. Right. Because then all of a sudden, they couldn't be content because, wow, there's three guys that have quickly made leaps in there, and I actually think that's helping them. Taylor getting to the quarters of Wimbledon was the first step. And he was, you know, listen, he had good opportunities to beat Rafa in that match. Then, obviously, Tiafoe making a run. Now, now, all of a sudden, we're making En-ROADS in a major. So it's not being satisfied just having a guy in the round of 16 or quarters. Now it's gonna be, who's the, gonna be the next guy to make a finals of a slam? And it, pretty unique, Tommy wasn't the first of his generation to do anything. right? He, you know, wasn't the first to make a 250 final, wasn't the first to win one, wasn't the first to make a 500, wasn't the first to make a 1,000 final, win one. Wasn't the first to make a semi. So, you know, and he's quietly gotten way better. But I think that the the next one now um, is who's going to make that deep run. And I I left there thinking about Ben Shelton probably more than anybody. Really? Thinking about his upside for potential and growth. I mean, in less than five ATP tournaments in his career. I mean, he's obviously played quite a few challengers in that short period of time. But just five, I think it's only four, maybe it's five, pro ATP events, he's already top 50. And you you see where his game is, and you think, man, there's there's a lot of growth upside in his game.
0: Yeah, because you can we we could see from watching him against um against Wolf, and then of course against Tommy Paul, that you know, the serve, the forehand are explosive, the movement. Um, the creativity, you know the ability to come forward, but there's a couple of things that can get a lot better. You know the return of serve, the court positioning, you know playing the right shot, putting pressure on in 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 a in a more organized fashion, sort organizing his game a little bit more. So I agree. I think it you know and he brings a tremendous personality and excitement to the game. The one guy I, I think that can be a legit threat. I mean, Wimbledon, I, sorry, the French Open is going to be difficult for any of our guys, American men, to make a big, deep run, I would say. But Wimbledon, you know, you, you got to think Fritz, you know, he was there last year. You got to think Shelton to be dangerous if he gets used to the bounce and, and you know, playing on grass for the first time. Uh, Paul, you know, I mean, he's got a solid, you know, he takes the ball early, could be good. But I think Corda. I mean, to me, corda has got a guy like, wow. I mean, if he can put it together, we'll see how the wrist is. I haven't heard any updates on, on the wrist injury that he suffered against Hatchinoff. But if he can add a little more meat to the bones, you know, get a little more pop on the serve. I know we've talked about that. I mean, he looks to me like a guy that's a legit threat at Wimbledon.
1: I feel like that as much as I was just talking about the upside of Shelton, Corda's upside is – is huge. Um, cause he's six, five, he's probably in the low one seventies. I feel like he could get 15 pounds stronger. Andre is helping him out a little bit. I'm sure he wants to get a little short. Un- Andre Agassi. Yeah. So they, he,
0: yeah. He spent a lot of time in Vegas with him. Right? Yeah.
1: And he loves him, but I, yeah. I, I keep telling Andre, I still feel like he's leaving a lot of meat, you know, on the bone because I think the serve could be a lot bigger. There's no reason. There's nothing technically wrong with it. Um, like Brooksby serve needs a lot of work to improve, and but you look at court of serve, and it's just it, everything is smooth. I think it's just it's just a matter of you know, okay, it, you know, just really going after it. But if he could serve, let's say, like a guy like Richard Krejcek, you know, at that mm. side, or, or he no. could have also, Michael Stich,
0: Michael Stich,
1: right? Yeah. He's winning. Slams right away. I think that's just the one. You know, Medvedev's game isn't isn't that big, but the serve is. And so, same with Zverev, bigger guys that don't play. You know, huge tennis because you know court is kind of in that range. But I do think if he had a bomb of a serve, that would really elevate his game instantly to where. He should definitely be a top five, top three player if he had a big cert. That you know, if is a big word in in every right. sport. Yeah,
0: that's for sure. It's a, and it's a very big. Intent. I mean, if you All gave right. it,
1: what about if you gave Brooksby a bomb?
0: Oh, he'd be he'd jump up so fast. I mean, because that's just a big liability right now. So it'll be interesting to see who he ends up with um, as he looks, you know, searches for. a They had coach, some get interesting
1: him. names on the list. Okay. You know, like I said, my name wasn't on the list and they wanted me. I thought well, it was sometimes,
0: a little- they, sometimes they do that because they want to see if you're
1: interested. So,
0: <laughs> you know, take that into account.
1: I would be interested in the right situation. It's been a long time, but listen, I like as a coach. You love
0: coaching. Yeah, you love yeah. coaching. I, we- you
1: know what I like? I like waking up at three in the morning because I'm thinking about it. So, yeah, uh, I, if the right situation, 100%, I would do it and it would be fun.
0: Well, you wake up at 3 in the morning
1: thinking about a lot of things. But <laughs> yeah, I about, do. About hey, someone we, you're coaching. We, we're, we're talking about the Cleveland challenger this morning, your guy Kozlov. I like right. this kid Mickelson, you know. I'm just a tennis junkie.
0: I wanted to ask you about that because people, you know, are listening to this. They they, they obviously know the, the big names in the Australian Open, which we love, we, you know, we do for our, uh, ESPN. But what what I want people to know is that you and I are communicating all the time about these smaller events that are going on, the ITF tour, the challengers. And you've been out there watching some of these young American guys. And you told me when we, when we got together in Connecticut for the Australian Open, you said, I went out to Malibu where you live. Pepperdine had a tournament out there. And you watched some of these um, young bucks at the, at, it wasn't even a challenger. It was a future level, which is like single eight, which is like single eight ball. So tell me a little bit about who you've seen and who you like.
1: I like this kid, Alex Mickelson. He lost today to Zvac Sveda, who was in the semis and he had beat him in Malibu. He's kind of a combination of Brooksby and Tommy Paul, six, four, really good mover, needs to develop a bomb on a serve too as well but great counterpuncher with a beautiful backhand. So many of our guys, all of a sudden, it used to be all forehands, got right. good little backhands. Spade is a good little good little player. He just, he's, you know, he's only about 5'8". Um, but it was this, and, and we had Lerner Tien, who's 17, who right. got to the finals of the Aussie, was in the semis. We had four players that were 20 and under that were in that uh, semis. And unlike some of our, people that sometimes you know don't know about challengers right we follow the challengers yeah, we and that's it. basic. listen that's the impetus to you becoming good it's you know shelton at the end of last year won three consecutive challengers so it's no coincidence that what he's doing is he built up the equity winning those matches
0: all right the last thing i want to do and i appreciate you coming on with me bg and uh, spending a f- more than a few minutes so thank you for that uh, we always have some fun with this, so I'm going to have a little fun as we wrap things up. Pete Sampras versus Roger Federer in their prime finals, Wimbledon. Who wins?
1: Which court? Like uh, uh, sh- shit grass or better grass.
0: <laughs> so you know, the shit grass would be the grass that they played on when you were coaching Agassiz, right? When Sampras
1: well, beat I, Agassi. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say shit. Grass, low bouncing, low you bouncing, know, where...
0: and and faster grass. Yes. Uh, okay. Let's say that grass first.
1: On the very fast grass, didn't didn't Fed beat him in five sets? He did but
0: but, but but Pete was past his prime at that point but he, he did beat him in 575 in the fifth when
1: it when did, did becoming past your prime at 30 that's well, all that, Pete
0: was I know that's just, that's amazing right but they they've, they've thrown that out the window
1: the the, the courts they're playing on now is, is feds going to win a huge percentage of the time okay. it just so, the,
0: yeah, for right now with now with the with the bounce being higher a little slower the balls are a little bit slower yeah, I, I hear
1: it. It's, it's the same. Like, He's going to get he, a
0: break. He's going to get a, maybe a break a set or at least every
1: two sets. I actually think that, that you know, I know the Pete Sanders fans are going to be really bummed, but I actually think a worse matchup for him on grass would be playing Djokovic now on the slower because he'd return a serve every time. You know. That's a so, good point. Yeah, it, yeah. And that was the biggest problem was anybody trying to – on the faster grass, I feel like Pete, especially now you put in – poly strings that he didn't that he didn't right. play with i think his serve would have even been bigger i think that the old grass he's gonna win 4.1 out of 10 i'm gonna give 5.9 okay. to fed because fed still has a really good servant pete's return you know so i i i'd say that fed would be a solid favorite on that but Pete's going to win some of the matches, right? That's and for I, sure.
0: If they play on the the grass more of more recent years, like when Fed dominated, and now Joker, you would say Fed's going to win nine out of ten times, or ten out of ten.
1: He's going to win eight point seven out of ten, you know, okay, something like that. Unless, obviously, with you know. You add in the poly strings, maybe he plays with. You remember, he played with a little dinky racket. You know. Right,
0: right. No, we They're, take. We, yeah, we we take all these different things into account. So we're not assuming it's just you know we're assuming the equipment changes and evolves a little bit. Okay, I'm gonna ask you one more. Your guy Andre Agassi at his absolute best down in Australia against Novak. Now you can make it the you know the old rebound ace, which is a little bit bouncier. Yeah, you know, you you tell me the speed of the court could be quick, could be medium, it's usually medium fast more recently.
1: If you make it 105 degrees and windy. Okay. Andre is right there, you know, he's going to win at least half the matches. You play the the little slower conditions at night now.
0: Right. Like they do most of the matches now or most mostly at night for the top players. Controlled conditions, you know, 75, yeah. 80 degrees. Do you know not you, a lot of Rock, wind?
1: Did you see the movie Rocky 3 prediction? Pain that would be pain for Andre. <laughs> that would be, you know, he's I love Andre, you know that, but he's right. there's not a lot of there's not a lot of winds gonna happen on the ledger, slow conditions at night versus Novak. I as much as I love Andre, I, I there's there's no winds coming, but if it's hot, it's windy. And it's the old rebound ace. Now you know, Andre's going to win his share of matches there. You know me always thinking about the the variables. Well,
0: yeah, you're thinking about the variables. And and does he win it based on being able to deal with the uh, elements better? Because he was obviously he was a great win player. We knew when he was super fit, he could he could grind guys down. Um, You think he? I mean, I still think I was I was actually saying this to someone today. One of my old coaches is now coaching a college team in Mississippi, so he asked me to talk to his his college team today via um, FaceTime, and I was I was talking about Andre, and I was saying that you know he had the ability to sort of calibrate you know how big he he wanted to hit the ball, but I said to these this team I said still to me to this day, I don't think anybody hit the ball as big, and as clean. Off both wings, off the ground, than Andre Agassi. I know, I know. Joker's got him with the movement and the serve and the you know the slice and all the you know the different things that he can do. But just pure ball striking out of a ball machine, boom. Still, to me, Andre Agassi hits the ball as big and as clean off both wings. Do you agree?
1: God bless Novak, but there is not a person ever that hits the ball. Andre didn't miss hit the ball. You know how you see that? Right. He hit flush. His swings were really tight. I mean, everything about how he and the the way that he could just produce huge power with a small swing. We talk about easy power. I mean, his was kind of physical power. Uh, I I mean, I take his ball striking over anybody ever. Um, But he needs to play against Novak though. (laughs) <laughs> With his speed and stuff like that, he does need the perfect oh. scenario. And I really believe if you put Andre and Lendl in the blender, you right. get Novak Djokovic.
0: I get Djokovic, a big serve, you know, bigger. You know, now Novak's forehands gotten bigger and bigger. And the only, the only, the, you know, the only difference is that Djokovic is lightning fast. And and both those guys were. We're we're quick and could cover the court, but they weren't lightning fast like Novak.
1: He's also the most efficient mover I've ever seen sitting courtside.
0: Well, it's going to be fun to watch uh, 2023 unfold. It's fun to have my
1: man BG back with me. We'll be watching the Cleveland Challenger tomorrow. Your guy, Kaz, you know, he's in (laughs) the quarters, you know, so big weekend for you, you know, and, and that's, we're tennis junkies. We love it.
0: We love it. and I love you, my man. Thank you for my coffees in Bristol, and uh, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you so
1: much. Have a nice night, buddy. Beer time for me now.
0: You got it. Enjoy the one and only Brad Gilbert here on Holding Court. All right, big thanks to my buddy BG, Brad Gilbert, for joining me on Holding Court as we look back at the Australian Open. We looked ahead to the rest of the tennis season. I'm very excited for season four of Holding Court, which starts next week. Of course, I'll continue to tackle all the issues in professional tennis otherwise as well. We'll also look at the big political issues as they come up in the sports world, because as we know, they always do. And of course, the very important topic of mental health and how it relates to tennis, to other sports, and to life in general. Hope you join me on season four of Holding Court. Holding Court is powered by Mudhouse Media.